0: okay well we're continuing on in our christian mind uh, sunday school class just by way of review and help you know kind of where we're at the scope and sequence of uh, the book that we're kind of following the outline of the kind of the section we're at right now started uh, with damien's class a couple weeks ago uh, where he talked about our mind and the gospel Really, that understanding, as we think about the Christian mind, I, I think the the best question I heard uh, as we were heading toward this series, and I, I was mentioning to some uh, to a group that we were going to be studying the Christian mind, and, and Barron asked a very good question. He says, is there a difference in a regular person's mind and the Christian mind? Like, ah, that's, I mean, that's the whole... That's the question, right? Is there a difference? And the argument, as you can tell, that we actually have a class, is yes, there ought to be a difference. We are being renewed. But that the very thing that renews us is the gospel. Our mind and the gospel really captures what the rest of the series we have we have to keep in mind. Because last week we had a great conversation. I thought about how we view... Others who are, as we was, as scriptures say, darkened in their understanding, uh, who are who know God but are rebelling against Him, are rejecting Him, and we can't. We could very easily adopt an attitude of uh, uh, just a superior attitude. They're like, "Oh, we know better. We aren't foolish like these people." We could very easily do that, look down. But when we realize that the only reason our our mind, our thinking, our knowledge is being renewed is through what Christ has done for us, and we'll look more at this today, His His life in us. There's no way we can look down at someone and think, "Ugh, oh, that poor fool. You know, they 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 should know better. No, they. Why would they know better? And, and except except that their lives are gripped by the love of God and Christ and the gospel and that their minds are renewed then all of a sudden they can understand I think we talk about that uh, even in chapter 9 we'll talk about reading the Bible uh, illumination just what the spirit does for us renewing our minds opening our eyes, softening our heart to understand uh, God, to know our creator you We there's no way that we can look down on someone else who who is outside of Christ and think, oh, they should know better. So that was our mind in the gospel, and we kind of looked, started looking even in that section about the two, the kind of the great commandments. What what are the great commandments that we hear as summarized kind of throughout Scripture?
1: Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as
0: yourself. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So, the week after Damien's class, last week, I started talking about chapter 4, the content of our thinking, which is God. And then today, we're going to look at the content of our knowledge, which is our neighbor. And then we'll kind of see that work uh, through the rest of the chapters. So, why is it important then, I maybe asked a similar question last week, but why is it important to understand the kind of proper ordering of our love as we can, as we turn today to we'll look at loving neighbor. Why is it so important that we had last week's class before
2: this week's class? And this is love that you know he loved us first basically, sent his son to die for us. Uh, so our sin nature makes our understanding of love uh, a shadow of what is true. Um, I would say that proper love for neighbor flows out of uh, God's love for us so as we reflect on his love for us we love him that influences our love for others yeah.
0: how you know, is it impossible for uh, people who are outside of Christ for non-believers to show a like a sacrificial love for people of course it is hmm? of course it is it's impossible no it's not enough. it's possible right it's yeah i mean you i i've seen you because you never know if the person is a believer or not because sometimes you read certain articles and think man that person has to be a believer right not necessarily you, know, you i think of uh some horrible murder or something like that and A son or daughter is in the courtroom, and as the sentence is delivered, the person is getting, you know, a a lifetime sentence, and the son or daughter gets gets to say one last thing, and it's, I forgive John Smith. I understood that what he did to my mother, to my father, was horrible, but I want him to know that I forgive him. So you see that kind of stuff. You see that in the world. Uh, you see, you know, you think of maybe uh, wartime stories of someone <clears throat> knowing that they are going to die. You know, greater love has this than that man laid down his life for his friends. Well, you see that in war, right? A band of brothers, and one of them, no, nope, without even the wheels turning, just instinctually delivers his body to death for the sake of his band of brothers so you you see this in the world so we have we have to see then if if the world can have this kind of love in, in a sense what why is it so important for us to have that proper ordering of of god's of god's love to us
2: coming out to others well for the christian they're also concerned with god's glory and so, anything not of faith is sin, our life is to be lived in faithful reliance on God. Anything, you know, the good works that those others would do would be the filthy rags type thing. Yeah. I don't know if that's me.
0: No, for sure. I, if that's you know, I always, one of the things that's always at the forefront of my mind is the um, the kind of, very well-known first answer to the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And yet that's glorifying God and enjoying him is, is absent from a non-believer. That, that's something they cannot have. So like when we think, can someone do can a non-Christian do relatively good things like yeah it happens all the time the difference is it's divorced from god's love it's divorced from the having him as the object because even as as believers as we are loving one another it's because of his love for us so it's it's like an extension you kind of realize that that as i love victor it's an extension of god's love for me and I, I think that's that's one of the Hey, welcome. That's one of the beauties of the church is we are a hodgepodge of people from all different backgrounds, experiences, uh, economic uh, status, all sorts of things, and we get to love one another, and I think that, you know, that was uh, especially seen in the early church as you have masters and slaves coming together. Um you you just with that whole master slave dynamic. I think of Paul uh, as he writes to Philemon about Onesimus, and he's sending Onesimus back. He says, "Receive him as your brother." Like yes, he may go back to work for you, but receive him as your brother. Like because of this relationship you have in Christ is a whole different dynamic. So we really see that beauty in uh, in the uh, early church. Um the, the author, in the first part of the chapter, he says, "This primary uh, this primary relationship with God is necessarily linked to the service of our neighbor. We live not for ourselves, but for all other people." He quotes Luther who, who says that a Christian is a, a lord of all and what is, that, I think, a, a, uh, and a slave to all. I kind of summarized it. I don't know his exact words. What's that?
3: Slave to many.
0: Yeah. So it's like we have, as, as new creations in Christ, as we belong to Christ, as we are in him, we, we have a freedom that we've never had before. Where We were slaves to sin, slaves, slaves to the law, slaves to death. Now we are set free and yet, what are we set free to do? Slaves of righteousness. To be slaves of righteousness, which, as the author says, is necessarily linked to serving others. As we are slaves to righteousness, we are, we are bound now in a glorious way to serve others uh, sacrificially. Okay, so someone read... John 13, we're going to go through a handful of scriptures here. John 13, 34, and 35.
3: A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another.
0: Okay a new commandment i give to you does this seem like a new commandment well let's let's look um first first just think of the ten commandments as you think of the ten commandments the first four are directed toward whom what's that towards god towards god right yeah. the last six are directed to who what's that horizontal? Horizontal, right? Our our neighbor. So it's God and man, and you. So even from the, as the law which we believe is written on man's heart from the very beginning, as that law is actually uh, codified in, into the Ten Commandments, we see the first four are directed toward God, the last six directed toward man. So even from the, the beginning is this idea of responsibility toward God and a responsibility toward our neighbors. In fact, if you continue reading in Exodus, Exodus 21 uh, through basically the beginning of 23, it starts branching out into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of our love toward neighbor. Like, how does this actually play out? How does it look? Um, a couple I wanted to read are at the end of... Uh, chapter or at the beginning of chapter twenty-three. Chapter twenty, Exodus twenty-three, four through five, says, "If you meet your enemy's ox or his donk or his donkey going astray, what should you do? Well, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one of of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with with it. You shall rescue it with him." So even in the law, which we sometimes we sometimes categorize the Mosaic law as something totally different than what we have now, like oh yeah, we don't even have to pay attention to that anymore because that's that's old. Like, well e- even even the law shows this beauty of loving your enemy, loving those who hate you. Like no, if you see your enemy. Or you're you're the the one who hates you in trouble. It's your responsibility to go help. Uh, and then, Saint, uh, just a couple verses later, verse nine: You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So again, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week. For for Israel, how easy. And this is this is probably one of the biggest things they. Did, sins they did deal with was pride, thinking we are God's chosen people, and they despised <clears throat> Gentiles and the sojourners. But even back here, all the way in Exodus, what Moses was receiving on Sinai, he's like, "No, don't, don't look down on the sojourner. Don't despise them if they are in your land. If they're coming through, uh, don't oppress them. Why? Because you." you were once sojourners, you were once strangers in a foreign land, as you were enslaved in Egypt for, you know, they were in Egypt for 400 years, large portion of that being slaves, you know the heart of a sojourner. So who are you to turn and oppress a sojourner? No, welcome them, love them. So we see that even in uh, the very beginning of uh, the kind of The law spelled out for us. Um, Someone read Leviticus 19, 34. Actually, start with 17 and 18, then we'll read verse 34.
4: You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Verse 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God.
0: Okay, so those same ideas are being captured. And I thought it is is really cool about those verse 17 and 18 he starts by saying, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You know, so often we think of um, the Sermon on the Mount, where where Christ says, you've heard that you shall not murder, but I tell you that if you even hate your brother, you have committed murder. And we kind of think of that as a a brand new thing, where, where he is bringing into clarity something about the law that hadn't really been understood before that he's bringing out like the whole idea of thought word and deed that we sin in all of these areas and even as that thought of hate is born in your mind you are before god that is that is like murdering your brother but even back here in in leviticus that that thought life is mentioned okay um Let's see here. Matthew, just to kind of tie it in with <laughs> some New, New Testament passages here. Matthew 5. Someone read Matthew five forty-three through 48.
3: You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you You therefore must be perfect, as your
0: heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, again, this is as you as we read those Old Testament passages, much of what Christ is addressing on the Sermon at the Sermon on the Mount, or in the Sermon on the Mount, is a false understanding of what they made the law to be. Because, as we already read, it was not said you shall love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. And it, didn't, it didn't say that. In fact, it was saying, if you have an enemy, if you have someone who hates you, do good to them. But this is how they brought it in. And even that language of sojourner, he, he talks about their, their view of that, where um, they're only, basically like only greeting their brothers. No. So we see here even this, this spirit of, of uh, love that we ought to have. Um first John someone read first John three, eleven through eighteen. some of the aspects of what makes the new commandment that Christ talks about in John 13 new or different. First off, John writes here in 1 John, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. What's the beginning? Well, as we saw, at least going all the way back to Sinai, and I would say, Well, to King. Go back to Cain, right? That's exactly where he goes. He doesn't leave it ambiguous. He brings it all the way back to the beginning. Past Sinai, all the way to Adam and Eve and their sons. So yeah, he doesn't doesn't leave the beginning ambiguous. He brings it right out. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So this idea of loving one another isn't new. It's been around since the very beginning of creation. It's the law written on man's heart. Why does Jesus say a new commandment? So why does Jesus say a new commandment? Let's start by by, uh, looking at a few passages. Just kind of tie it back to Damien's um, uh, class a couple weeks ago. First, very familiar passage. I'll I'll just read these. Galatians 2, 20. Romans 8, I'm going to read the first 11 verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Okay, so here's the first big idea. Living by just seeing the law and saying, "Okay, the law tells me I need to love my neighbor," the law tells me I need to love my enemies. The law tells me I need to love the sojourner in my land. Can the law actually enable you to do that? No. No, because as we've as we've been studying this. Um, The subtitle of the book is The Christian Mind Escaping Futility. The futility, walking around the futility of our minds, the darkening of our understanding outside of Christ, we we can't truly obey it. The law cannot enable us. It is there and it is perfect and it is holy and it is good. But the law in and of itself does not enable us to obey it. So what does? For God has done a law weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. So in one sense, our sin is punished, it is condemned in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. in that in order so there's something that's going to happen here in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh because according to flesh we couldn't do the requirement of the law but we walk according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. As we discussed, can sinful man, can unregenerate men love and show remarkable, uh, remarkable uh, deeds of love? Yes, but absent the glory and enjoyment of God, they are, as Josh said, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, what the law weakened by our flesh could not do, God did by sending his son. And as I I read just a moment ago from Galatians 2.20, Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that is not Paul speaking of just his own special experience. That is what is true of every believer. Now, we wrestle in that. I'm not going to read it, but read Romans 7. See Paul wrestling between that dynamic of his flesh and spirit, knowing on the one hand the right thing to do, and his flesh pulling and saying, no, I want to do this. So there's that dynamic of wrestling in what we call the already, not yet, will one day be free from that, from that wrestling match where we will wholeheartedly, with full enjoyment and full glory to God, without any reservation, without any doubt, completely obey Him. But right now we wrestle. But it is nonetheless true that we are crucified with Christ, Yet yeah, nevertheless, uh, you know, I have died. Christ lives in me. Um, he is, and through the Holy Spirit, we are now actually enabled to obey, though not perfectly, to obey God's law. And actually to do something that God doesn't see as filthy rags, but to see as the works he's prepared but beforehand that we should walk in and works that he can take enjoyment in and delight in from his children. Um, let me see. I just want to make sure I'm... I'll, 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 I'll read this. I think it's also important. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction uh, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Okay, so we're beginning to see what this new commandment is. As as Christ is telling his disciples about this new commandment that I give you to love one another, he is on his way very soon to death on the cross. He He is about to go and atone for their sins. And um, we see then through the teachings of Paul here, this uh, unity that we have in Christ, union we have with Christ. Um, so let's look at some of those, some of this, the, the word, the wording differences in the old. So the old commandment, some things that uh, Christ brings out, referencing again, John 13 that we read earlier. The old commandment was to love your neighbor as what? As yourself. As yourself. Looking back at John 13, 34. In this new commandment, Christ tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also, also are to love one another. He, he doesn't go the direction that they might be expecting being Uh, good Jews brought up in the word it's like how are we supposed to love? Yes, I know I can fill in this blank as myself, as I love myself he doesn't go there he says love one another as I have loved you and he's about to go and die on the cross for their sins the perfect spotless lamb of God who did not deserve any punishment for any sin because he had committed no sin, took our sins, took his disciples' sins upon him and died on the cross suffering the wrath of God for our sin. So it's no no longer simply love one another as yourselves, but love one another as I have loved you. Um, There's a lot of passages we can go to to here. I'll just pick one. Someone read Romans 5, 6 through 10.
3: For while there was still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly.
0: As we see in the Sermon on the Mount, the Jewish mindset took what they knew of the law. And they're like, this whole like loving your enemies part, that seems like a bit of a stretch. I don't think it probably meant that. <clears throat> like, in fact, let's try to keep our enemies at bay so we, we, we don't have any sojourners around to have to show love. You know, like, let's you know, keep them at arm's, arm's length. Yet God, who is absolutely holy, Absolutely perfect every attribute. He loved his enemies. And how? Not by just blowing us kisses. By sending his son to take on flesh. We won't read it, we won't read it for the sake of time, but Philippians 2 is one of those passages passages we're gonna look at. As Paul says, to humble yourselves to serve one another, and what's the model of serving one another, of the sacrificial love toward one another? Christ, who took on flesh, who lived a perfect life of obedience, and obedience to what degree? Death. Even death on a cross. cross. The the one thing in that time, uh, I I heard someone recently say, so I'm I'm quoting him, I don't know if it's true, but I do trust the source (laughs) Romans didn't even that that, um, the the Roman people didn't even usually say the word crucifixion because it was so below them it was such a horrible thing they're like that's a dirty word we don't even talk about that and here's the son of God who gave himself up to be shamed for us on a cross and and that's just the picture of the of the shame because what was actually the most shame shaming thing was something we eyes couldn't see that's the wrath of god being poured out on on christ for our sins because simply being crucified isn't atoning for sin it's the wrath of god being poured out, and Christ absorbing it, that is atoning uh, for our sins. So love one another as I have loved you. We still hear the language of love as yourself. We think of Ephesians 5. I'll read this. ephesians 5 this passage we're familiar uh, talk about husbands and wives beginning with verse should get right here verse 28 in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it now that's just like a simple a simple statement of humanity the normal person cherishes their own body. Like, I'm hungry. I need to feed myself. I have hurt myself. I'm going to care for my wound. The normal person has a desire to take care of their body. So, in a very kind of just human understanding way, Paul is saying, Husbands, just as you would take care of your own body, take care of your wife. That he doesn't just stop. He doesn't stop there. He goes on. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. So even even in that picture of us loving our as a husband loving their wife as they do their own body cherishing their wife as they cherish their own body he still brings it to the the greatest example the greatest example goes beyond any any human thought of of taking care of our own body the greatest example is christ giving himself up for his church and why would he give himself up for his church because it is his body this beauty of Christ loving the church is still the ultimate picture of uh, our, our love for one another. then lastly as um, so we'll wrap up with a little kind of I, I want to hear have more uh, discussion from you guys in the, in the in the statement of the new commandment he does say something also a little bit different. Again, going back to John 13. Instead of loving your neighbor as yourselves, he brings a special focus. A special focus on the object of our love um, through Christ. He says, love one another. Love one another. There's There's an important thing here as we realize. He's not saying now, okay, you can now neglect your neighbor because all i really care about is my church so just love one another he's not saying that in fact we we see that we've we've read plenty of passages that would show us that that's not the case but look at galatians someone read galatians 6 9 through 10.
4: Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith.
0: Very good. So again, it doesn't exclude neighbor, but there's this, this special aspect that we ought to be loving the household of faith really well. We ought to be, if, if there's anyone that we sacrifice self for we should be doing it especially for the household of faith um so let's think really quickly i'm going to read one one last passage and then we'll spend the last eight minutes um just in group discussion i want to start thinking about kind of practical ways as the church our main our, our main responsibility is a spiritual responsibility in the proclamation of the gospel and equipping the saints. But that doesn't exclude, that doesn't exclude exclude love for the world around us. In fact, if it does exclude love for the world around us, then we are really missing the heartbeat of our theology. Because as we've been talking last week and this week, it's the love for God for us that then pours out. To, to others, everyone, uh, as, as Paul said there in Galatians, but especially the household of faith. But here, just some of, in Romans 12, uh, some of the uh, practical ways of, of loving one another. And I might have to, Well, I'll try to be quick. Romans 12, starting with verse nine. If he is thirsty. Give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then he even brings that into how we, in, in chapter thirteen, how we just, uh, submit to governing authorities. Understanding, I think that's all through this idea of love and, and submitting first to God, realizing authority is under Him. But then verse eight, of, uh, verse of chapter thirteen. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So what are some practical ways what are ways that just everyday life as the believer? Then since we're talking about the Christian mind, maybe start there with just how how do we first capture that idea in our mind? What are some practical ways in thought, word, deed that we should be loving the world around us? That we should be loving one another, loving unbelievers, loving those in our workplace. Are there just some ways that, that takes place. I think
4: the hardest one. Is speaking the truth to them. Mm-hmm. I think that's the hardest one of all. You know, when we witness and you want to, you know, to, to show them that they're lost and they need they need Christ, or if they're in, you know, if someone approached you and they're in some kind of sin, mm-hmm. you approach them and tell them that you're in the sin, or if they ask you about something and you have to tell them, you know, especially if it's your if it's your children or a relative or a close friend or something and you need to say, No, in God's sight, this is sin and this is the wrong thing to do. And that I think that's the hard, especially in this day and age Mm -hmm. right now, to let people know what the truth, actual truth is. People don't want to receive it right now and they're hostile to it, towards it. And so it makes us want to draw back. And not, not say anything at all.
0: Either draw back and not say anything, or the other extreme is rush in and hammer them over the head. Right. Head, right? Exactly. Yeah. And think, and again, go back to what we were talking about in the, this Sunday and last week is having this this holier-than-thou kind of thought. And like, oh, how dare you? How dare you act like a sinner? You a sinner? Mm-hmm. Well, when you were talking before about, I guess, the sojourners and the Jews and Gentiles and Gentiles are dirty and the other and that sort of thing um, i just remembering back when we were talking about Exodus and the money changing area of the temple mm-hmm. that yeah it was the, the money piece of it but that that was an area for Gentiles to come to the temple so
4: these church folk essentially created a way to push out the other people who wanted to come and didn't even create a space for them to mm-hmm. be there which was really easy because they were so different so I guess the other part is just seeing people as people yeah. to be able to have conversation and making sure there's space for people to come that are different,
0: that yeah. it can be awkward. If we want sinners to hear the message of the gospel, mm-hmm. our doors should not be blocked to yeah. sinners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what sweeter place to see and hear the gospel being proclaimed and in the doors of the church. And if a sinner wants to come in the doors of a church, welcome them in. We, the, you know, that, that, should be it. That, that should just be something that we should be desirous of.
1: There's a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Mm-hmm. And in light of what that family chose to do in their neighborhood, was to have a table picnic table outside and call it Thursday night and anybody comes to the table and whatever's discussed wept over, rejoiced over, it began there and then the gospel can you know be uh, spoken but it just was a neighborhood of gathering and there was even a specific neighbor who they discovered was a drug dealer and they just thought oh that's the neighbor that we walk our dogs with Mm -hmm. well he got He got in jail, you know, for punished. And then there, too, they witnessed to him in jail. And he did become a believer. Mm -hmm. But it's just the ordinary and how God can use it and make it extra ordinary. Um, But we have to be willing. Yeah. And I get confused. You know, when do you speak truth? When does the relationship, does it speak truth? When do you address it? the timing of the Holy Spirit and not me just wanting to rush in and mm-hmm. fix it and make it better and look all tidy and feel good. Yeah. There's a lot of introspection in your own heart, particularly when you're talking about relationships that you already have and family and friendships.
0: Yeah. It's the new tying the comments together Here's like Rosario Butterfield's story yeah. about the pastors welcoming her into, her, into their home. Mm-hmm. And having just real-life conversations with her. Yeah. And it's...
1: And she was proved, wanting to prove the gospel wrong. Yeah. I mean, there was an agenda there. Mm -hmm. And they still welcomed her and broke bread and had these discussions. Yeah, for years.
0: Yeah, for years. Yeah. Like who... Yeah. I think it is... Realizing the gospel's words... Right to understand the gospel, words have to be used, yeah. but to then cut off everything we've talked about today, showing one another love, and letting the 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 gospel reality of our lives flow out to others, and how is that done through love? We ha- it's both, and some of it's going to be sometimes the only the only way to bring a sinner in is by showing them just extravagant love and then through that
2: that you share share the truth in love, Josh Uh, I'm just my mind goes to being ready in season and out of season and that kind of goes to what Tracy's talking about, like the thinking through, you know, what do I say, when do I say it, you know um, maybe it's awkward but it doesn't have to be, you know relationship building Um, and then I also think of where it talks about Presenting your bodies as a uh, living sacrifice as your spiritual service, you know it's like uh, Abraham had to take Isaac to a physical location to present him on the altar, right? And and then he was, you know, given the sacrificial lamb. But you know he had to go somewhere in faith to do that. So it's like we need to show up in real life, uh, w- wherever that is, and not just be like the you know I'm gonna hunker down in my bunker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. And and it talks about the word how uh I mean we can share the gospel even with those that can take your life. You shouldn't fear the one who can only kill the body, but fear the one that kills body and soul. Yeah. Well we need to close for the sake of time so don't drive the teachers crazy as I tend to do.
0: Um but, so just a takeaway from the last couple weeks. <clears throat> How is the Christian mind different from the unbeliever's mind? Well, first, our minds ought to be more and more filled with no, the joy, the light that we get to know God. We get to know God because he has revealed himself to us. And he has loved us and he has demonstrated this love. It's such an amazing and what seems like a crazy way through his son. So we, that's, our minds ought to be filled with just the delight of, that we have this intimate knowledge of God, and we get to know him and know him as Father. And then that, as we're thinking about the Christian mind, flows out into love for neighbor. To, the, to this extent that, I think finishing with Josh's comment there, that we are ever mindful of those around us. That we are look, actively looking for ways to show the love that God has shown us through Christ to those around us. We have to be proactive at it. It, it happens both ways. Sometimes it happens when we're at least expecting it and someone is brought into our life. But I think as believers, I would say as believers, we also ought to be actively looking at the world, at those around us. Like, how can I serve them today? Well, let's pray. Hey, you
1: know, one of the things, though, yeah. it's almost like you're saying that we have within us to actually look for those proactive things. I don't believe that. I believe it's the Holy Spirit that says to us,
0: hey, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. And it constantly keeps us. If you're in the vine, then the Holy Spirit's saying, you got this connection. The saying, you would not probably want to do this, typically. Mm-hmm. And you... You really should think about it. Why don't you go ahead and think about it, and I'll let you go. And this is, I think this is a bit, that question last week I didn't want to get into for the sake of time. It's, I think we get ourselves sometimes into a dangerous area where we divorce ourselves from what God is doing in us. Mm -hmm. And the whole monergism synergism thing its like, okay, it's a great intellectual conversation. It's monergistic, but guess what? Paul talked the way Paul talked in Galatians 2:20. It's as if you didn't know where Christ started and where Paul began. So like Paul said, I might every thought as much as I can I'm thinking and looking how I can proclaim and advance the gospel. How much is that is the spirit without actually realizing it's the spirit all of it probably. There's some things we might think I did a pretty good job of that, and like, oh no, that was Wood Haynes stumble getting burned up. That was that was just the Jeremy thing. But but there's so much. We, we I think we can get ourselves in a dangerous territory when we start trying to divide what's spirit and what's Jeremy and all that. I think it's Doug Searle. Uh, I remember in his Hebrews class saying, "Stop asking. Is it the Holy Spirit?" He says, "Just just obey and do." Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your love for us. I pray that you would help us just to be the meditation of our heart. uh, Just every moment of every day realizing how sinful we are and yet the amazing grace and love that you have uh, shown us, poured out upon us, lavished upon us through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to uh, delight in your love for us so much so that we can't uh, help, but, but share it with the, the world around us uh, in our thoughts, Father, as we think about others, uh, in our words, as we speak to others, and in our deeds, as we serve one another. Help it just to be, um, as Jeremiah said, just kind of a burning in his bones. Help it to ache us, Father, when we're not doing it. Help us to desire so much uh, to be uh, just the instruments of, of your grace and mercy on the world around us. We praise you, Father. I pray for Ryan this morning as he brings the sermon. Uh, Strengthen him. Encourage us uh, as we uh, go into the main service and just enjoy uh, worshiping together. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.